Hi there, and thank you for joining me today on Geezers of Gear, episode number 83. Today's podcast is brought to you by Elation Professional. Elation's Proteus line of weatherproof moving heads has emerged as the market leader in IP65 rated luminaires with years of proven performance. In fact, our guest today, Sooner Ruthier, used the Proteus Hybrid on Muse's recent simulation theory world tour as a guarantee against rainy outdoor shows. Elation continues to launch new Proteus versions like the 50,000 lumen Proteus Maximus, an all-purpose power luminaire packed with features that can be used as a profile, beam, or wash light, ideal for shows requiring radically bright output. Elation's Razor 760 Washlight with Spark LED technology and Smarty Hybrid with Smart Lamp technology are also available in weatherproof Proteus versions. Again, today's podcast is brought to you by Elation Professional. Visit them at www.elationlighting.com. <laughs> Yes, episode 83, and uh, an exciting episode it is. And so first, I want to mention the topic on everyone's mind, uh, or at the forefront of your inbox, or your news feed, or whatever it is, wherever you're getting your information this morning, or today. But um, hopefully you're listening to this later, like in 2021, and it's already over, and it's a uh, blast from the past and we're making jokes about it and stuff but this coronavirus thing has really become a problem uh, for our industry in that shows are canceling and I'm seeing way too many discussions going on on Facebook and other social media platforms where uh, professionals industry professionals whether it's audio lighting whatever are losing gigs and losing a lot of gigs and a, uh, you know a lot of rental companies also just are hurting right now because you're starting to lose shows and stuff and again i i know that this is a very difficult time for all of us and it is hopefully going to be a very short blip and i will tell you one thing one story uh that i think i've mentioned on a previous podcast but i've been staying in very close contact with uh don chan who runs our asian office of gear source and um right through the thick of this virus in china and in asia in general uh we have continued to do business at gear source and yes jobs have been canceled and orders have been canceled and lots of shows have been canceled but the funny thing or the odd thing is our business has actually been up over there and we're seeing a similar result in other parts of the world, including North America, including Europe. And so uh, I'm not sure what to attribute that phenomenon to, but the thing about Asia is they are really already rebounding and we're seeing in the news the numbers are down as far as new reported cases. Um, the numbers are down as far as uh, people dying. And so 
you know, it's a it's a good thing they've managed to finally control this thing in Asia where it all started. I wish they maybe would have controlled it a little earlier, but it is what it is. And so, you know, the thing is to discuss real truths and real information and real facts. I decided to, first of all, try and educate myself. And, and so I've been, you know, trying to find sources of good information um, that are not you know, filtered or uh, buffed up to make it look good for one political side or the other or whatever it is. Um, no agenda is just basically the real truth. And one of those sources, remarkably, has been uh, a guy named John Featherstone, a designer who we all know. And John has always been a very pragmatic, very smart guy that I, I uh, other than you know, not sharing the same political views, I guess, but we really do, um, I think, appreciate each other for being sort of no bullshit people. And um, so, you know, following John and just seeing John publishing truthful information that, that you know, is kind of uh, trying to unscare people who are just kind of running around scared and buying toilet paper and stuff, um, it got me thinking that I really want to I wanted to put a podcast together with some industry individuals who I think have very good uh, insight and very good knowledge of what's going on out there. I'm not talking about doctors or the CDC or government people or anything, but in our industry. So I have gathered a group of people and I haven't selected exactly when we're, we're going to record it yet, but it's going to probably be sometime uh, in the week of March uh, where are we today? So we're going to be talking about sometime during the week of March 16th, I guess. So it'll be recorded on the 16th, 17th, 18th, I'm guessing. And <clears throat> the people on that podcast are going to be John Featherstone, John Wiseman, uh, who of course is a, a you know big cheese guy in the touring side of uh, PRG's business. And we'll have some great insight onto what's going on in the touring world. Um, Eric Loader, who's the, I believe, president now. I'm not sure what his title is, but he's part owner and president, I believe, of uh, Elation Professional. And also Ben Saltzman, who is the president or CEO of Act Lighting. And so um, this group of gentlemen, I think, has a great deal of knowledge on what's going on in the industry, on what's going on with supply coming in from Asia, from Europe, um, with the markets, with uh, how it's impacting revenue or isn't, how, you know, and when touring is expected to recover. I think John will have some very good insight on that. And so um, I hope you'll join us on that one. Uh, it is absolutely just for the good of the industry. There's not going to be any sponsorship on it or anything. We're just uh, diving in to talk about it and, and just see if we can find any common sense. So that is coming up uh, sometime next week, and I will obviously keep you posted on that one. And But today, one of the ones that I've been looking forward to for a few weeks now, and we've had some good ones recently, I mean, that... The Lumen Brothers one the other day was hilarious, and, and uh, apparently you guys think so too because it's being downloaded like crazy. It's been one of the more popular ones, but also um, uh, Faye McMahon from last week, that was one of my favorites. And so yeah, we've I've been really fortunate to have some super great people and some really, really good episodes recently, but this one today I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, sooner, sooner Ruthier is... 
an award-winning designer, producer, director, and certainly one of today's uh, leading creative people in the world of what she likes to call experiential entertainment. And um, Sooner has developed and produced some of the most recognizable performances and um, has been working with headlining artists like Coldplay, The Muse, The Weeknd, Kiss, Imagine Dragons, Lumineers, Rihanna, oh God, Pentatonix, Jay-Z, Halsey, Motley Crue, uh, Depeche Mode, G-Eazy. I mean, just a killer list of people. And, you know, the stuff that she's done, especially most recently, has just kind of blown me away. I've seen some of these shows and it's just... Her work is unbelievable. She's a great person, and I look forward to talking with her. And so here she is, Sooner Ruthier. Hello. How are you? I am. I am fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty awesome. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sneezing. I have no fever, so oh. I think it's pretty good right now. Damn this coronavirus. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I know. And I have a uh, a garage full of toilet paper, so I'm pretty good there. Oh, that's good. So you're stocked up. That's yeah. great. I have yet to um, stock up, and I'm wondering whether or not I should do that. I am slightly terrified, though, because, you know, the tornadoes just hit Nashville last I week. I know. I know. So um, it's been quite a week for us here in, in Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to go, you know, stocking up on things yeah. if uh, people need them more than me. Yeah. <laughs> right? I, I was actually joking about the... Uh, the um, toilet paper thing. I don't get it. Like I, I understand yeah. people panicking a little bit and having, you know, some supplies that they might not normally have, or uh, certainly mm -hmm. the wipes, you know, I, I get that, but I don't get the toilet paper thing. Like I, I saw, a, I, I saw a funny meme on Facebook or something in the past couple of days where it said, uh, you know, okay, now I understand the toilet paper thing. One, one person sneezed and a hundred shit themselves or something like that. Right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it, but it's true. Like I, I went to the store yesterday to get something to uh, Publix, which is our uh, chain of grocery stores down here. And yeah. I had to turn down the toilet paper aisle just to see, you know, and sure enough, the, uh, the shelves were completely empty. Like you couldn't, oh you couldn't buy a roll of toilet paper for nothing. And I bet if you went in the bathrooms, all the rolls were stolen, stolen out of the bathrooms too. So oh, no. yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I have to go look. I haven't even been yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's yeah. We just did our like normal thing this weekend, just did food, but it's just yeah. enough for week, you know, I mean, I get it. If you're stuck inside for 14 days, you want to be prepared. But I mean, well, there's this little thing called Amazon and Whole Foods <laughs> and like all the grocery stores here have online delivery now. And, you know, we're not going to die, people. We're not going to. Yeah. I, you know, speaking of this thing that we can't get away from now, this coronavirus thing, I'm I uh, announced on my um, intro here that. I am setting up a uh, podcast with some people in the industry who I think have very good opinions, Eric Loader being one of them, um, mm -hmm. John Featherstone, who I've been following his, uh, you know, I don't generally follow his political posts, but I'm following his coronavirus posts because he's so common sense and yeah. he's, he's presenting real facts, not like hysteria and stuff. And right. um, so it's him, it's John Wiseman from PRG. Um, it's, uh, uh, Ben Saltzman from act. So, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of a, a group of people who 
are doing international business, who have an opinion about where this thing is going, when it's going to end, how it's going to end, that kind of thing. Not that everybody really or anyone really knows, but we do have to remember that there is going to come a time which won't be that far into the future where we look back and go, well, geez, that was stupid. You know, our, our reaction to this thing was stupid. And, um, you know, I've been researching a little bit on the, on the Italy part of it because I've got a lot of friends over there and, um, it seems most of the trouble in Italy is caused by the fact that they downplayed it. Yes. But worse Mm -hmm. is that their healthcare system was not prepared for this at all. So, you know, they're bumping real patients for people who think they have coronavirus now or who do have it and their hospitals just aren't able to handle it. Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. It's a real problem. Have you, uh, has it impacted you yet from a, Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, but you know, I also have, I also have collaborators that are moving forward in May so far. So, um, I'm just kind of, I'm going to take the next six weeks and hang out in Nashville and do some volunteering work and, um, and go help some people that, you know, were suffered from the tornadoes. And then, yeah, yeah well, I mean, I feel, I feel kind of helpless, you know, it's kind of one of those weird yeah. helpless. Well, um, I know, I I know like when you, we scheduled this, I think you were leaving tomorrow, right? I am. I, I do have to go to Saskatoon tomorrow for the Juno awards. Oh. So that's going to be fun. I've never been to Saskatoon. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately I have. I I used to play in a club in Saskatoon called the A4. There was a rock, a rock and roll uh, club in Mm -hmm. Saskatoon. That was a lot of fun um, called the A4. And uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm personally excited because I like going to places I've never been before. I don't know if it's going to be exciting there or not, but I (laughs) I can see a lot of fun. Well, the good thing about Saskatoon is you can see Alberta, you can see Manitoba, you can see for hundreds of miles because there's no hills or bumps (laughs) or anything. It's pretty flat. Oh, goodness. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm only there for the weekend. I come back on Monday. So So what are you doing Uh, with the Junos? uh, Alessia Cara. She is uh, hosting and performing. Yeah. I didn't realize she was Canadian. I should know that. I'm Canadian. Yeah, yeah she's I'm a she's bad Canadian. Canadian. <laughs> she's really sweet. I'm very excited to see all of them and, and work with them again this weekend. That she, is super cool. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good. And then I get to see all my fun Canadian production friends as well, which I have a lot of friends up in Canada in production. So I'm I'm excited to see them. Are you part Canadian? No. Um, I, my mom was, my mom's Quebecois. She, she was born just South of Montreal in, um, Valcour, which is near Granby. Okay. Um, I grew up on the border. I grew up up in Northern Vermont on the Quebec border. Right. Um, yeah. So, so you say, no, you're not part Canadian, but your mom is French Canadian. Yeah, I guess I'm first generation on my mom's side and second generation on my dad's side. Oh, okay. So, like every, I mean, you know, my last name is Routier, if you want in, yeah. in French. You now, and my mom's maiden name is Roberge. So, yeah. um, and my mom's maiden name is Lapierre. There you go. Lapierre. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I'm the same, except I grew up in Canada. I, I spent okay. the first, uh, I don't know, 25 or six years of my life in Canada. So, nice. Yeah. We, I mean, it was, it was cool. It was like growing up up there, it was like, you know, that Canada was, it was the town next door. It wasn't like the country north of us. Right. right? It was yeah. a way of life for us. My brothers played hockey in the 
the leagues in Quebec. Um, like our, our high school hockey team, actually, we didn't have an arena in our town of Newport, Vermont. We didn't have a, an arena there. So the, the high school team would actually have to cross the border into Quebec to play to play at the, the arena just over the border. So like any, yeah, any visiting team in Vermont. And obviously this is before the passport rules came into play. Um, and since then they've, they've gotten an arena, um, at this mountain called J peak that I grew up skiing. So, um, yeah, it was interesting living up there. Yeah. (laughs) All my uncles have great French Canadian names, you know, and, uh, I still have a, 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 bunch sets of aunts and uncles that live in Quebec. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Me too. My, my mom, you know, being a good Catholic had, uh, 15 brothers and sisters. And so Mm -hmm. I have loads of relatives that I have no idea who they are or where they are. Most of them are in (laughs) Ontario, but, um, a lot Mm -hmm. of them in Quebec as well. Nice. So, yeah. yeah. Well, first, I want to congratulate you on your recent Parnelli for Lighter, oh, Lighting Designer you. of the Year for that so unbelievable Muse show last oh, year. Thank you. And thank I you. think that's your second, right? It is. Yeah. Um, I got a 2015 um, Imagine Dragons Smoke and Mirrors tour was the first wow. one. Wow. So you are a two-time Parnelli winning <laughs> lighting designer. That's a so crazy. That's a big one. That. Yeah, it's it's insane. I don't. I I mean, there's so many amazing people that are, were nominated. It's just I didn't think I had a chance in hell. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I got to be honest. That Muse thing is pretty incredible. I mean, that's oh, that's you. quite a show. I mean, we had a great palette to work with. Their music is definitely some of my favorite and it has been, um, for a long time. I've yeah. been a, a big fan of theirs. And then, um, working with Jesse Lee Stout, the creative director, he is just, he and I have a really good time collaborating together. So, yeah. Um, well, I the mean, music, I, the music is sort of somewhere squashed between rock, like hard rock and, and EDM, right? Yeah. Yeah, for it, sure. Yeah. And then a, cool... a lot of classical music influences in there too, right? He's a classical, yeah. classically trained musician. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it. I mean, it screams for lighting, right? Like that's just you can get you can get pretty fun with the cueing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. No, I I uh, I never actually saw the show live, but you know I've seen a thousand pictures and and uh, YouTube videos and stuff, and it's just incredible. Very cool. very cool. Thank you. It was definitely fun. Yeah. Fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you grew up in. Uh, the sticks in, in rural Vermont, <laughs> yeah. as you mentioned. So how does someone growing up in Vermont get exposure to lighting, let alone get, you know, sort of this itch that, Hey, I should be in the lighting business and this is what I want to do as a career and you know, whatever. So where'd that come from? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, we didn't have a lot to do up there. Uh, I mean, we grew up basically just playing outdoors. Right. So, yeah. um, but there was this local stock theater company named the Derby stock company, um, that they, they did musicals in the summertime. They used the high school theater and they, they put on these pretty elaborate for a community of pretty elaborate musicals. Um, and in elementary school, I just, I used to ride my bike over the theater and, I would be, I'd perform in like the choir of these musicals, but then also during the daytime I'd go and I'd help the scenic person, the person that was building all this, this set. Um, I'd help her sort of build things. And there was one, I just remember this like very distinctly, there was 
these flowers for the whiz where she like cut the top of a liter Coke bottle off. And then she like made like cut petals into the top of it and then folded them back. And so they look like these cool, like super whimsical flowers all over the set for, mm. you know, munchkin scenes. It was really cool. So, um, but, but I just every, yeah. But every, why, like, why, why were you riding your bike to the theater? What was the, what was the appeal? What was the pull? I mean, I don't know. I just fell in love with theater and dance and singing and playing music. I played, yeah, I played clarinet. I was a band nerd. Um, and I actually grew up like my, my grandfather played accordion around us all the time. So like, I think I grew up like listening to him playing instruments and he, he used to play a lot of polka. Um, and so maybe that's where it stemmed from. I don't really quite remember having a lot of music in our house. Like I don't remember my parents really listening to a lot of music. Um, I feel like my dad used to listen to a lot of talk and maybe the music that we listened to was always, you know, sixties, fifties. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I just fell in love with music in elementary school and fell in love with theater and dance and sort of just continued to perform in those stock theater companies. And when we got to high school, um, this amazing dance, um, instructor, Sherry Skirdall, she just we had this beautiful dance company that just performed nationwide. Like they, she was just this incredible um, teacher that, that brought this really amazing wave of modern dance into our, our Northern Vermont community. And like I said, they, they would perform nationally. Um, And so I, I fell in love with, well, I was a terrible dancer. First off, I like awkwardly grew in high school and my shoulders just kept pushing up and I could never get the right porta bra or whatever in ballet. And so I sucked at that. And she, she kind of gently nudged me into the technical theater department. And she said, you know, if you get, if you go in and join the lighting crew and sort of help out the tech team, you can get extra credit and dance. And I was such a nerd. I wanted like better grades. So I, I did that. And I realized that I could play lighting like an instrument with music. And that that's sort of what sparked the love for wow. it. Like, yeah. it's, it's so bizarre and, and mm-hmm. interesting how sometimes our lives change. You know what I mean? Like how, how something just comes in, like a person like that comes in and yeah. says, hey, why don't you look at this over here and look at your career now, you know? Yeah. And she, she definitely, I'm going to, I mean, I'm not sure how she realized that that would be like my love, but that ended up being like, I was in the theater nonstop at that point. And, and, you know, playing music actually started to take more of a backseat. Um, but I, you know, we had two scene preset consoles. There'd be like four of us on these consoles, like just running lights to the music. And it was more about like, we would light the body. I loved lighting the, the body for modern dance. I loved the way that light could hit, um, you know, from shin busters and everything. And, um, but I really loved the music component of it. And so I saw my first concert when I was a senior and it was the Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, the Infinite, Infinite Sadness Tour. Um, Lars yeah. Upton, right? Lars Upton, yeah. Uh, and I was just obsessed with moving lights and how, like I'd never seen moving lights before, right? And I'd never seen lighting move and change colors the way that those lights were functioning. So I went back home and I was just so stoked. And I told my parents, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, at the, up until that point in time, I wanted to be a marine biologist because I loved the colors of the fish in the coral reefs. I wanted to study the, just the coral reefs. For some reason I was obsessed with color, Mm. but 
now I'm finding like looking back on it, that it was that obsession with color that I've drew me more to lighting is just being able to paint different surfaces with color of light was like, I guess that's just what drew me. So, so how did that, how did that conversation go with your parents? Cause <laughs> you know, I, I mean, yeah. I hate to say it, but for a boy to come home and say, I want to yeah. go on a rock and roll tour and be a, yeah. a lighting person, um, is bad enough. And I yeah. had that conversation with my parents, but I was a musician at the time. And, um, but for a, a young lady <laughs> to do that probably yeah. is even scarier for the parents. Like, why the hell do you want to do I that? Know. Yeah. I, you know, I think that they were just like, okay, this is a phase that's going to grow out of her. Um, I, I'm not sure. Like they, they were like, you should just go to a liberal arts school and see what happens. And so, um, one of the other, um, tech kids what wanted to go to audio recording school. So he had found full sail university and he's like, we should just, we should go to full sail university. And I was like, that's actually perfect. Cause that, that seems like the perfect entry into this business. Um, and my parents were like, they knowing that I had never really left home. They, they were like very caught cautious to, they, they were actually smart. They said, let's put a, let's put a radius around our house and make sure you don't go too far outside this radius and just go for two years to a liberal arts school and then get a degree and then see where you go from there. And then maybe you could go down to full cell, but please just like do these two years just to get something. So that's a pretty sensible, uh, (laughs) it was, and it was smart because it made me go in state, which was cheaper. I mean, I paid my student loans off from that college really, really quickly. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I ended up going to this small school called Johnson state college in, um, it's just near Stowe, Vermont. It was about a 45 minutes to an hour drive from my house in Newport. And it was the smartest thing I could have possibly done because I was on that lighting console in the theater just about every day that I was in school. Um, and Jan Herder there, the technical director was just really instrumental in teaching me the ins and outs of tech theater and, and how to do things properly. And Um, I really, I mean, I loved it there and I, I definitely gained a lot of knowledge. Um, but what's really cool (laughs) is that, you know, there's this band called strange folk that they were like a fish sort of noodling band at Burlington and they came through and they did a show in our theater and they needed support. They needed extra lights and audio to make their show happen. So they brought up this company called New England Audio Tech, uh, Rainbow Concert Productions out of Hampstead, New Hampshire, and to, to supplement the lighting and the audio gear. And Brian Clark was the man that brought up the lighting rig. Um, he definitely my mentor for sure in, in the business. Like he's the one that started me. Wow. Uh, so he, I was such a nerd about lighting that I knew all of my gel colors. Like I, I could spout them off. Like I just studied that gel book, both Roscoe and Lee, and I just knew it. So, uh, he used to label his lighting console with, instead of it being, um, you know, red, blue, green, it was Roscoe 27, Roscoe 80, Lee 139. And so he, he, he had set up the lighting and he was kind of going around focusing the lights himself. And he's like, Hey, do you want to run the lighting console for me while I focus? And I said, of course, no problem. So I sat down and, you know, I could tell he was kind of like, ha I got her, you know, she's not going to know what's what and he's like, all right, put up the green fader. And I put up Lee 139 and he's, he kind of stopped and looked and he's like, how do you know that? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I said, this is what I want to do. So how, like, how do I get into this? Like, I want to follow you. Like, what do I do? What, 
where do I go? And he said, next Saturday, we're doing a show at Boston college with Buster rhymes, be there at whatever time. And of course we didn't, I, I didn't have a car at the time. So, um, a bunch of my friends and I drove down to Boston college and went in and we got there way too late, you know, went in, saw the show, helped with loadout and then went back up to Johnson. And then he's like, all right, next, next week, we're going to be doing Ziggy Marley at Dartmouth college. And so drive down, he actually let me run the lighting console there and, and realized I had timing, which was nice. Um, and that was it. That was, I worked for them for free for a while interning. And then that became my summer job. I got a car. I would, I would drive, you know, three hours from Johnson's day college to the Boston area and back over the weekends, like, you know, in the middle of the night, which I, I can't believe I did this because, yeah. you know, 18 years old, like driving this little geo prism, 91 geo prism through rural Vermont roads yeah. <laughs> in the middle of the night, just to get to class at 9am the next day. Well, like, you just wanted it that bad, right? I None of that stuff bad. mattered. Yeah. So I ended up like, I ended up finishing, I got an associate's degree at Johnson. I transferred to Emerson college, went there for two years, uh, got my degree and the whole time working for rainbow. Um, eventually started freelancing, I think in 2002, maybe 2001, 2002. And then, um, I got my first tour, uh, while I was freelancing and that was it, it just kind of took off. Really? So yeah. how, how'd you get your first tour? How'd that happen? Um, well, technically my first tour was the Irish tenors and I was a tech, um, uh, through port lighting. They, they supplied the, the tour gear. And so they sent me out as a tech. Um, it was a pretty quick run. It was like maybe three weeks to a month. Um, and it was a very, very easy schedule. I remember I brought like my, my comforter and my pillow because I didn't understand how to get on a tour bus and move. <laughs> so like, but yeah. I mean, everybody on that tour was so nice. They're like, Oh, look at this. She's so naive. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that had to be culture shock for you too, right? You know, it was a little bit, but, um, it was so much fun because, um, the schedule was so light. Like I think we, we did like two shows a week or something. Wow. Maybe? I, remember but and it was all these beautiful theaters and and outdoor spaces and um i was the only tech and uh i don't know it was it was culture shock but also just i just realized that there was all what i also fell in love with at that point was the camaraderie on the road you know like yeah just being able to like meet these cool people and travel around and visit these great places and yeah, I, we drove to the Canadian Rockies and like pulled over and had like half a day where we just explored Lac Louise and um, yeah. So I I fell in love with the wanderlust component and then the camaraderie of and the the team sport component. But what what like, about the obvious question though of a mm -hmm. of a girl going on the road for her first time with a bunch of you know yeah a bunch of guys and jumping in a tour bus and having to share a tour bus and having to God forbid share a bathroom. <laughs> with uh with a bunch of guys and you know that yeah. wasn't like a little bit shocking i guess you were young enough that it was fun right it was it yeah, was an adventure it never really i guess it never it never hit me that that was what i was doing it was just it was like you said an adventure and it was also i just loved my job so much and i loved the people that i was working with that it never yeah it never really occurred to me that that's what what i was doing that's i awesome. just did it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really cool. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess when you're, when you're into something so much, you kind of don't think of, I guess I, I just was never really negative about it. I just kind of did my job and like, and I was kind of, I was always kind of naive about like anything around, like if there was anybody being, you know, rude in, in that sense, I just kind of ignored it, I guess. Yeah. 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 Never really thought twice about it. I just carry on and do my job and just, yeah, that was good, it. Good for you. It's yeah. probably why you, you know, managed to get through the system so easily and quickly and everything else was because you didn't stand yeah. up and say, Hey, I'm different. <laughs> I need to be treated different. I need, you know, this and I need yeah. that. Um, raising your hand and saying, look, I'm going to be a pain in the ass, for example, you know, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I've always learned from some of the smartest people who've been doing this since the seventies and stuff. And, and Faye McMahon said it last week, you know, he said his, uh, his mantra in life really is to just keep your head down and shut up basically, you know, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're going to have great ideas, but not everybody wants to hear them. So. Yeah. And just always work hard. Like, I guess for me, I, cause, and maybe this is because I worked for an audio company that had lighting. Yeah. I don't know. But like, if, you know, if the audio guys were still working and I was done, I would jump in and help them. Right. So it, I think it was, it was always like, it wasn't, I wasn't just a lighting person out there. I was always a team member and, yeah. and, and I never thought twice about jumping in and helping somebody lift cases or helping somebody pack a truck or helping somebody coil feeder or I, it was always just get the job done and move on. And the quicker we get done, the quicker we get to go back to the bus and have wine yeah. together or, the, you know, go hang out and plan our day off. You this know? was, this was what, like 2000 or 2001? Yeah. So I think that tour was 2002 or 2003. Um, I ended up getting my first tour as a lighting director. I think it was 2003, the fall of 2003 as a lighting designer. Um, and, and that was just, it was Chevelle, um, oh, wow. Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I had gone back over the summer, you know, I, I finished the Irish tenors tour and did like a whole fall, winter, spring working locally doing like freelance gigs and, and was doing, um, a rock festival up at what it, it used to, it was Meadowbrook farms is what it was called in um, the Guilford area. Okay. Um, that's like the, one of the best amphitheaters for a touring crew to go through these days. It's so funny. Cause I remember when it was just like a parking lot with a truck stage. Um, but we, we, we were there doing a rock festival and I think it was disturbed maybe. And then Chevelle and I can't remember there was one other band and Chevelle didn't have a lighting person. So I jumped on the console and I had always kept in touch with the other lighting designers that were on that that gig because I had seen them, you know, come through multiple times. And that was one thing is like, I always tried to keep up with, with other lighting designers in the business that were touring. Cause the more that I could keep up with them and talk to them and network with them, the, the more yeah, that's smart. likely it was for me to be able to jump on board. So, um, yeah. And I guess Chevelle was looking for a designer to come on board in their, their fall tour, which was coming right up. And, um, those two lighting designers out there recommended me. I think it was, um, Jason DeBoer and Sonny Satterfield were the two out there. Oh. Yeah. And they, they recommended me for the gig and I got it. But and was weren't you like, you know, a, a little <laughs> nervous, like you've never oh, yeah. designed a show for anyone. And Chevelle was yeah. probably starting to get a little bit more hot by then. Right. 
yeah, we carried some gear. We had a, a trailer with some gear in it. Um, but it was fun. I think I had studio spots and a, a psych and some, some psych lights, uh, maybe some studio, some washes, maybe some, I can't remember. But, um, the funny part actually is that, um, my now husband, uh, was the guitar tech stage manager on that tour. And, um, that I was actually more nervous about working with him because he was like this crusty jaded dude that was so angry all the time. <laughs> and I remember my first show with them was at the nine 30 club. And like, I, it was the first time it was a one-off show and like first time working with them first time flying to do a one-off show for a band that I was designing. And I remember landing and like he, he and I had landed at the same time. So we had to kind of go pick up the rental car together and then go to the hotel and I just remember meeting him and like, he was standing out on the curb of, I think it was like DCA and standing out of this column, like leaning up against column, like smoking a cigarette and just angry. And like, I walk up and he's like, Hey, I'm sooner. I'm here to do lights. And he kind of looks at me and gives me this look. I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> it was like, oh, God. This like happy go lucky, like super excited lighting nerdy person. And yeah. he's just like, what am I doing? Yeah. He's thinking, Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> I know. And now we've been married. We just celebrated our 10th year. anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's <laughs> very cool. Yeah. I mean, he has put up with me for so long. Well, and on that topic, it's got to be easier being married to someone who's in the business and understands the business than it is being married to like a, a, a lawyer or an accountant or someone who has a regular life. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. And it, now it's like a different, it's, it's interesting. Cause like he, we always toured separately and, and, you know, there's definitely hard times, you know, and I'm, I'm vocal about it. Um, uh, when I was out with Bon Jovi in 2013, he was out with doing Motley Crue, which was one of my designs at the time. So he's out there like carping this massive thing, you know, that he had to <laughs> wearing like, who designed this the whole time, you know? <laughs> uh, and you know, luckily the other designer, Robert Long was out there. So it was, he, he could take some of the brunt of the, that's funny. Like, but, um, now our, our, um, our lives has changed. He's working full time for Gallagher staging now here at Nashville. So now when I, I put something together on paper, you know, I can, I can kind of show it to him and be like, what do you think? Like, will this fit in this space? And and our, our, now our, our discussions about the business have shifted a little bit over the past few years because of that, but that's, it's helpful for me, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's going to make it a lot easier. Yeah. But he has to talk about work all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you, you mentioned Robert Long and I, yeah. I think you at one point developed a, a partnership together, right? Yeah. We had a company, we still have a company together, um, called S-Ray Productions, uh, about, geez, we've had it for like, goodness, I don't even know how many years. Um, 2007. That's right. There you go. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. So geez. Um, but last June I sort of, you know, we, we sort of made a, a little bit of a mutual decision to, to go off and do our own things for a bit. Um, okay. we still do projects together. I, I am one that will never say no to a good collaboration or a good opportunity. Yeah. I think that when you do that, you're really shutting yourself down. Um, so we still have a couple of things we do together, but, um, I I've since June, I've, I've been working sort of on my own to create and, and design shows. Yeah. Which has been really fun and adventure, but we did, we just put the Lumineers out in January together and it was really fun 
that one together. Yeah. I I, I mean, I trust me in business. I understand partnerships as well as anyone Mm -hmm. does. And, and I think sometimes they run their course. It's, it's like a marriage, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, it's time to say goodbye and sometimes it lasts forever, but I don't think, I don't think either, uh, either one is necessarily the right one in every given situation. So. Right. And it's definitely never goodbye with that man for me because he family to me, right? Like I, just and the two of us have created some pretty incredible things together. So, but he, uh, is he a designer yeah. as well, or is he? He's uh, more on the production side, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's more on the production side, but he definitely is one of the most creative people I've ever worked with in my life. I mean, yeah. his ideas are just insanely amazing, and and also the way that he puts them together are it's logical because he does have that logistical mind, right? right. So, um. Yeah, I mean his his I, the Lumineers show is a pretty good testament. Like that one, the two of us designed last spring together, and it finally came to its full fruition in January or February. February? I can't remember. Was it last month? I don't remember. I don't. What month? <laughs> uh, it all just kind of blends anyway. together, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. But like it, that is definitely one of my favorite things that we've done together. It's just wow. I'm going to have to check it out. Beautiful. Yeah. I just love the scenic. It's just gorgeous. You guys did uh, the game of Thrones live thing together too, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, For sure. That was a beast. Um, (laughs) yeah. Were you, uh, were you a fan of the show? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm a super nerd. Just remember I, I read all the books, uh, before, before even realizing that, well, like I think, I think he was still maybe writing some of the books when the first season of Game of Thrones came out, but I had already read all the books up until whatever one he read, he, he wrote. Wow. But like, I, yeah, I, I mean, I had a lot of time. Bon Jovi was like, it, we had such an incredible lighting crew that I really, I, I had backline hours. Um, <laughs> so I had a lot of time to read. Um, and the teleprompter guy out there, uh, Matt Osgood suggested that I read Game of Thrones books and I did it. I was hooked. So, um, yeah, so we went into the first meeting with the, the producers for that and they were just asking questions and I was like pulling out all this knowledge of the books and they're like, wow, we didn't even know that. And I'm like, Oh, great. Okay. Sorry. I mean to be annoying. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, those have to be cool calls to get, you know, when you're like, uh, you know, really Game of Thrones and you've read all the books and now you get to bring that whole thing to life, you know, with, uh, with a production that's going to tour. Yeah. And it was fun. And that one in particular, because it's like, I, because of my theatrical background, I really love actually just creating shows from scratch. Right. So that one was Ramin just gave us the music and he said, here you go. Um, this is diff- it was only six seasons at that point in time of, of the show. So he said, here's six seasons worth of the music. Um, not sure exactly what order to do this in, because obviously with the, the TV show, you know, they cut between different families and different scenes and everything so quickly. You can't do that in a live production yeah. without it feeling super um, schizophrenic. So um, we, we had to figure out a way to present six seasons of music with an underlying storyline um, and with the content, you know, in a, a logical manner for a live audience. And what wow. was cool about, yeah. And so it wasn't just like do the production design for Game of Thrones, it was create a show, Jeez. a live show. 
Yeah. And, and, and so was there a, was there a, uh, a creative designer involved who was, it was us. It was, so we really? brought in, yeah, we brought in, um, Curtis Adams who, um, Robert and I still collaborate with, uh, to this day. Uh, yeah, I think, I think he's collaborating. He's, I can't remember what he's doing, but, um, Curtis and I are collaborating on a couple projects together as well. Um, but he is a illusionist, <laughs> um, a l- legit illusionist. Like he actually had TV contracts to, to take a, a magic show out. Um, he's incredible. Um, but he's very creative, uh, show director as well. So the, the three of us all collaborated in all the elements. We collaborated on the show direction and the production design and all of it together. So, um, and yeah, your knowledge just, of the books and the show and everything probably yeah. had to help out because you were like, well, no, yeah. we're going to make, you know, so-and-so do this and then this and, you know, this is how it's going to build up and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, that's sure. really yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, it, that was definitely, and that's how I like to operate. Like I, I'd rather create, I think it makes it more, um, well, first off, it's it's conducive to more collaborative environment, which I'm a huge fan of, but also it just, makes the process more enjoyable for me because I can, I can sort of like imagine the entire thing together as a whole, like, yeah, instead you, of- you keep mentioning, uh, you know, there's like a thread of collaboration through all of this conversation. And mm-hmm. is that something like, do you prefer a, a collaborative, uh, you know, design or creative environment than coming in and saying, you know, this is my design and we're going to do it my way. And, um, which I, I guess mean, would honestly, be like a dictatorship sort of. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can't, I can't really function in any other way, to be honest with you. And it, you know, it's, it's naysayers will say it's because of a lack of confidence, but it's not, it's I do not believe that everybody sees and hears music the same way. So why is my way the highway? Right. Yeah. So, um, and I feel like there's a lot of people, even like you know, I, I, I was just talking to, I use Andre Petras and Mac EC with clear out visuals a lot, mm-hmm. um, for support tech support. And, um, I was just talking to him yesterday and I, I think I was at their office and, and then somebody else was in there and I said, Hey, like, yeah, we're, we're collaborative. This is what we do. And I said, even Andre and Gisi get my creative proposals before the artists get them so that they can look them over and see if there's anything missing or anything that doesn't make any sense, or if there's something we can improve upon. And that's just the way I function. I can't function any other way. That's so. smart. Yeah. 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 It's just, it, it's interesting because I, I know designers who are the uh, both sides of that. Like I know yeah. designers who really are dictators and, you know, this is how we're going to do it. I don't want to hear anything from anybody. I, you know, I don't want any ideas. It's my idea. Here's how we're doing it. And, and that's okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. You know, so I don't know. Do you, do you design direct operate? program do you just design <laughs> like what what do you get involved in on these tours um you know i should not be programming anymore but i do i love programming it's one of my favorite things to do yeah um i kind of pick and choose the projects because and i i have to because i'm i mean i'm so lucky right now that i've got multiple projects going on at the same time so obviously you know there's always rehearsal and programming sessions that overlap um, and in those instances, I had to have a programmer take care of the programming. Um, right. but I'm also finding these days, which like I said, it's very, it's awesome. And I'm super lucky to have this challenge, but 
um, every time I do sit down to start programming, I end up getting inundated with conference calls and emails and things. And it takes me away from the console and I don't get my job done properly. So I'm stepping away as much as I can from the console, which is really sad for me, but I'm still going to know how to program. And I definitely am going to learn the three for sure. Um, but I, the last tour, I try to operate when I can, but I obviously like, I can't be on the road, so that's not possible. But like, um, for Muse's promo stuff, the first three months of that cycle, I went out and operated the shows. Uh, it was all time coded. So it was pretty easy, but I, I, I did that selfishly because I really loved the music and, and, and also because I wanted to understand them as a band because I, I had never, you know, I'd only seen them live a couple of times and I just wanted to understand them as a band and understand what they needed from me um, as we were designing the, the show. And also because it put me, you know, in the room with, with the badass production manager, George Reeves all the time. So we could talk about the tour that was coming up. Yeah. Um, so that was, it just really got you helpful. acclimated. You became yeah, part of the team. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was also selfishly because I just really wanted to run lights for Muse. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I can't blame uh, you either. Yeah. So I did that. And then the last show I operated was a Coldplay show at the Palladium in January. And that was purely because the lovely, amazing lighting director, Graham Feast was on another tour. So, um, I just, yeah, I stepped in and ran that, those shows, um, which is pretty exciting, like yeah. running lights for Coldplay. I was like, well, okay, this is cool. When this yeah. become my life, no problem. <laughs> yeah. So overall, like your design philosophy, like what, what is it that makes Sooner unique? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't really examine my self or my process that much, I guess I'm kind of a chameleon. Like I don't, I don't tend to have a a singular look or feel to my shows. I don't think I do at least. I kind of just tailor it to the artist and what the needs are for the tour. So I don't know if that's necessarily unique. I feel like everybody does that. Um, So there's not really something like if I walk in on a show and I, you know, I'm blind to whoever's designing it and I take a look up and, you know, like I can see a Roy Bennett show. I can see a Peter Morse show. I can see a Steve Cohen show. Um, But there's not a unique quality to a a Sooner show. I don't think so. Um, People might might say otherwise, but I I don't think so, because I feel like every single one is so different from the one previous. Right. Um, and I don't just like that. I mean, I, I think that's, you know, really paying great respect to each artist and saying, I'm starting with a, you know, a clean slate and, and yeah. building your show. Right. Well, I'm, cause like what they're performing in front of is an extension of their music. So it has to be tailored to, to what their needs and, and you know, their current branding or marketing that they've got going on. Yeah. Um, so, and everybody's obviously got a different different feel. So like, for example, in January, I put together Justin Moore, which is a country artist uh, here out of Nashville, actually surprisingly the only country artist I work with. Um, and I'm in Nashville. So funny. Um, it's not so much country anymore though, is it? It's it's not, it's it's not at all. Kind of like the Um, epicenter of all kinds of things. Yeah. But like his show is, you know, it's all barnwood and a honky tonk. We've got these big antler chandeliers with, um, 
with I think uh, spikies hanging from them, right? Oh, and cool. then like the very next show I did was Coldplay at the Palladium, which was very like twinkly lights and um, you know big huge moonflower gobo looking things. And um, and then the very next show from that was the Lumineers, which is these huge like wooden structures. Um, so, and, and I'm currently looking at a proposal this very moment on my computer that is super modern, like inspired by James Terrell playing, you know, huge fields of color. So like, I think, I don't know. I, I don't think that there's anything specifically unique to, to what I do. Yeah, you it's, go where the artist takes you. Go where the artist takes and me. And is there a lot of collaborating with the artist? In, in that situation, like, do you spend a lot of time at the front end sitting and talking with the artist and figuring out, you know, where they're coming from with their music and how they see themselves wanting to be presented? Yeah, it's either directly with the artist or it's with a creative director that the artist has put in place to right. do that. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really difficult. And sometimes I do get these accounts where a manager will sort of step in and be like, everything goes through me. And I think that unfortunately for the manager, they, when that happens, they're usually doing their artists a pretty big disservice, but also the creative team behind what's being created because you kind of create the, like the operator telephone game in that respect. And so, yeah. yeah. And you know, managers are, are obviously the reason why they're put in place is to interpret what the artist wants and try to make that happen in a business sense. But sometimes when it comes to creation, there's the process of, creating a show is a little bit different than what they're used to. So sometimes streams and lines get crossed and you don't get the quite, quite the right information. So I, I actually put, you know, in my deal memo, a, a clause that says must have direct conversations with artists and or creative directors at all times. Well, it's uh, just like, it's like that game that you used to play at children's birthday parties where everybody yeah. stood in a circle and whispered something into the ear mm -hmm. of the person next to you. So yeah, anytime mm -hmm. you put something between, you know, the, the artist and the, the people who are responsible for bringing that artist's music to life, you know, and making things just like, I'm not saying that a creator, creative director isn't doing his job, but I think that should be a collaborative approach, not a go between sort of approach, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I've heard that so many times. I mean, it's, it's, some are amazing at really just unfiltering the information between yep. the artist and the, and the designer. And then others are interpreting it in their own way, like putting their spin on it. Yep. And, um, yeah. yeah, so I can understand why you would put that into your agreements. Makes sense. Yeah. It's, 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 it's become a, especially, and, and I'm not sure. I'm not going to be like these young kids these days. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like it, it's definitely, I find it a lot more with the younger management teams that, you know, might've been a friend or, you know, that creative person in high school that has come up through the ranks with them and, right. and is really protective. And I get it. Like I understand that they're protective. They were probably burned along the way by somebody that was trying to take advantage of their, you know, naivete of like starting out as a manager or whatever. So I understand, but you know, I don't want your gig. 
Yeah. No, yeah, well, and I know that used to be the case a lot, and I don't know if it still is, but with a lot of the hip-hop artists, you know, yes. they kind of brought their their group of friends with them, not yeah. not necessarily based on their expertise or knowledge of creative direction or whatever, but because they were their buddy in the neighborhood going through school or whatever, and yeah. now I'm big and famous, so I'm going to give you a title. And yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been involved in some of those tours and seen it sort of firsthand where it didn't work out so well. And I'm sure there's a lot of cases where it works out amazingly well, but yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's still the same. I mean, maybe they've changed and evolved from that or something. I don't know. It's different from artist to artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about, what about your thoughts on um, gear, technology, like too little, too much, uh, <laughs> overused, underused, you know, I, I mean, and I think different tours and stuff, it, it sort of runs the gamut. Like sometimes yeah. I particularly don't love the use of so much video in a show because yeah. it kind of morphs or it, it, it surpasses the artist. Like the screens mm-hmm. are bigger than the artist and you just don't really get it anymore. But, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's been a bit of an arms race in our industry in the past couple of years to develop a very good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm screaming for like super unique fixtures, right? Like, I mean, the X4 bar is is unique and creates this beautiful sheet of light and they've taken it even further with the independent zooming cells. Um, uh, we use the, I liked the elation dart on kiss. We had a bunch of those out there. Um, I like to see a product that's like unique and taking the shape of light and changing it because, um, everybody has the crazy profile with the framing shutters to be perfectly honest. I, when I do a design and I put together a tech spec and vendor bids, I, if I need a profile in my profile key, it says must be a, you know, CDs Unico or Elation Monet Artiste, whatever. Like I'll put, I'll put a bunch of different profiles in there with, with framing shutters. And I'll say it could be any of these things because yeah, so it's more based on the feature set that you need, not yeah. the specific brand that you need. Exactly. Which and makes the, a lot of sense. Cause you're, you're also, uh, you know, working with the vendors at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So. I can't like, and I don't I always want to work in the inventory of what the yeah. vendor has so that we keep the, you know, the finances pay, um, it's really easy to go above and like go overboard and like pretend you have an endless budget, but in it's the music business. Yeah. Well, when you talk though about having new, um, technology or a new look or something Mm -hmm. unique or whatever, do you ever make your own things like create something like, I'll give you an example that I, I've been just sort of, uh, I don't know. I've, I've watched it so many times, but the Ram Ramstein uh, stadium show with those big, huge sort of searchlight things. And I don't, I keep meaning to look at what's inside them. It looks like, I don't know, a hundred led pars or something, but those, those things are incredible. I I know that design is freaking cool. It is so cool. I haven't seen it live. I really want to check it out live this summer. Yeah. The summer maybe I can't remember. Yeah. Um, hopefully it doesn't get affected by our fears. But, um, so yeah, I tend to, I'm, I'm a pretty scenically minded person when it comes to design. I think that it's important to put an artist on a stage that has almost like a, 
an identity of their own. And, you know, in the days of social, social media, now, obviously you're designing to make sure that those pictures that pop up on Instagram and Facebook are beautiful and that everyone's like, Oh, I really want to go see that show because, right. it, yeah. like um, and also cause they love the artist, but the, the, um, I tend to make scenic pieces that are also lighting fixtures in their own way. Mm. Um, or like anything that can take light to, to sort of, yeah, to become its own lighting fixture. So I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, obviously like the, the age old example that has been done a million times, I did it on Depeche mode. Um, so it's definitely was not unique to me or original in any way, shape or form, but I took, you know, some big old TV lights and stuck some led fixtures inside them and, and, and they were like these alien looking things that came down on pantographs. Um, right. You know, that's a, an example of it or, well, um, I mean, even the big frames on kiss, you know, the, yep, yep. the, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the shapes, the whatever. Yeah, yeah. 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 We have, um, there's a scenic frame with a bunch of spikes on it and there's led tape that sort of does like, for lack of a better <laughs> term, the ground effects that you would see on like a car. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like um, this sort of glow around the scenic so that each one of, and they were all controlled. Like, I think it's like two channel, like two, like each half was controlled. So you could do some chasing in there, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I think it might run the stage as well. I'm pretty sure the entire stage is outlined in the same sort of scenic treatment. But um, I think those little details really set, set a show apart. Yeah. Um, obviously those are the things that start getting, more expensive and you have to pay a little bit more on the front end to get it yeah. done. But. Well, Roy, Roy is another guy that tends to do that a lot where like, I remember Paul McCartney, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10, 12 years ago when <clears throat> I got a call from, uh, John Huddleston at upstaging saying I need to create 200 led, um, Mac two fifties. We're yeah. going to, we're going to take and modify Mac two fifties and put LEDs in them or Mac three hundreds. I don't even remember what it was, but I had to go find him 150 used or 200 used Mac two fifties that they could rip apart and build LEDs into. And when I saw it on the show, I was like, Oh geez, I get it. You know, I completely yeah. see what you were trying to create there. And sure. today, you know, you could do it a million different ways. But when he did this 15 years ago, there was no LED moving light. And, um, the look that, that they were after, they didn't feel like they could create with products that were out there at that time. So, you know, he just had them make it. Is that where he did the badass red to blue chase? That was super quick. Yes. Like, yeah. 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 That yeah. was like, that was one of, I remember seeing that cue live and just going, Oh my God, what just happened? Yeah. And then, yeah. And obviously like every single rock and roll lighting designer from there on out, myself included, tried to bring it into their show yeah. um, with LED. Yeah. Well, in a sense, it sort of reminded me of a revamped version of the old Michael Jackson dangerous uh, tour mm -hmm. with the, um, what were they called? The data flash, the high end systems, yeah. AF 1000s, I, I think on the whole back wall when it was doing that crazy chase and stuff, that was just such an outrageous look. And, you know, but I, I, uh, I agree with you. I, I love, 
to go and see a show that has some sort of an element to it that you haven't mm -hmm. seen. Like it's not just a bunch of video screens and a bunch of moving lights and that's it. There's something different about it. And sometimes it comes from this, the scenery. Sometimes it comes from the truss, you know, like Mark Brickman, when I first saw the um, Matchbox 20, the where the truss was moving really fast and sort of repositioning into these different shapes and angles and stuff. I was blown away by it. And, yeah. you know, it wasn't a lighting effect as much as it was, you know, just a repositioning of the rig that just looked insanely cool. Right. So, unique to that show. Yeah. Yeah. But do you, do you, I, I mean, I know from seeing kiss and seeing a lot of the video and stuff of other shows that you've done, you, you use video pretty heavily. Um, you know, do you have a feeling about how, you know, the lighting and video somehow work together and don't just blind the audience and turn into this, uh, you know, you, you called it an arms race where, you know, everything's <laughs> just battling everything to blind you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I actually, I'm not really a huge fan of a ton of video, to be honest. A lot of times that comes from the artist. Uh, Kiss definitely is a, they definitely really want the big video screen behind them. So, mm. um, and it's fine, you know, we were able to at least give it somewhat of a unique shape. Um, and the video pods above are, those are lighting instruments in themselves, I guess. Yeah. Um, but and then Muse, uh, I think that that would just stemmed from the creative director from Jesse um, and Matt Bellamy's discussions, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a give and take, right? Like you kind of, even if like I, I was the lighting designer on Muse, right? Like that was my, my title. Um, so even though I'm a lighting designer out there and I'll, you know, sure the music is really, really fun to light and really fun to cue. It's not all about the lights. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> you a visual like, show. Yeah, you got to look at the picture overall and balance it properly. So yeah. if the video is really, really bright and it's supposed to be the the feature, then take the lighting beams and get them out of the picture. Yeah. Either, either like in a focus that surrounds the screen or uh, turn them off, right? So it's it's all about just like looking at the picture overall, like matching the colors of the video content to the lights. Like people get frustrated with my color palettes because I have so many of them and I'm very specific about colors. Um, but that's just, that's it. That's, that's how you create the balance is between brightness and color and yeah. you know, the contrast and looking, stepping back and not thinking, okay, I'm the lighting person. So it should be all be lighting. This is all we want is all the lighting all the time. Right, it's not right. about, about balancing. Well, and I, I don't want you to think I'm just blowing smoke, but I, I, I loved the kiss show. Like I, um, so I had doc McGee on, on this podcast and he yeah. invited me, you know, he said, we're coming through Fort Lauderdale, make sure you're there. You're my guest, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, Oh shit. You know, the last thing I really wanted to do was to see kiss. You know, I saw them literally 40 years ago and a bunch of times between then and now, and, you know, I'm still a fan of some of the earlier music and stuff, but I've kind of moved on. So, yeah. you know, I wasn't really excited to go see it. And I loved it. I was like, just, I loved the show, but I also was so appreciative of how much energy two guys that are 70 years old put into that show. Like, you know, I happened to be sitting extremely close to where Paul Stanley 
uh, you know, had a, a mic and was standing there doing his little wiggling and stuff. And I was like, man, you know, these guys still put a ton of effort in for a couple 70 year old guys. And I was just, I left the show so happy and impressed that, that I went, you know, that, um, but just really impressed with, with, uh, you know, again, the, the lighting was amazing, but, um, just also those guys, you know, like at 70, I don't know how passionate I'd be about putting that makeup on every day and wearing spandex. You know, I know it's so heavy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, the, a lot of the credit of that show and the way it's, um, you know, produced and, and the way that it, it moves across the planet and how it grows, uh, creatively is, is Robert Long. Cause he's out there with it and yeah. he's, he is not one to sit back and let a show just, you know, from rehearsals, just stay the same. Uh, he definitely grows it creatively, uh, you know, throughout the tour. Um, yeah. Well, you know, it, it looks fantastic. I mean, it really yeah. does. I, from my phone, I took some incredible pictures of it. Yes. I was, I was going back looking at these pictures going, wow, you know, this is just amazing. Send them to me. Yeah. yeah I, mean, it's I will. A powerful I will. rig, right? Like that whole ceiling just is articulating yeah, the whole thing. Cool. Right. So, um, yeah, I create some really cool shapes with it. So did you, did you get to work at all with the artists? Were they involved? Um, you know, so in rehearsals uh, over a year ago at this point, um, Mike Cooper and I programmed all the lighting together. Um, and they aren't, they don't necessarily, I think I, I was doing the overnight shift and then Cooper was doing the day shift. So he was the one that was really dealing with, with, um, the band more than me, yeah. uh, which I actually really loved it. Like Robert Long is the kiss whisperer, right? So yeah. he, He's front and center with them. I know he's like, (laughs) he's been with them forever. I mean, he was a guitar tech for Paul years and years ago. So, um, yeah. So I, I luckily on that, well, not luckily because I I do really love Paul and Gene. Um, Gene would kind of come up to us and tell these great dad jokes when I was (laughs) on site during the day. Uh, he's a really funny man. And then Paul has this, he's an artist as well. Like he actually paints, um, so I just, I love talking to him about art. Um, but I don't, I don't really get to interact with them as much and, and it's purposeful, right? Like I can sit back and, and, and do the programming or, or draw or create the show. And then Robert takes it and, and runs with it. And obviously he's, he's front and center creating as well. So, yeah. um, yeah, but they're, I mean, I've, I've always loved them. I think they're, they're great people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, again, bravo on, on the show. Cause I, I just thought it was amazing. And one of the funniest things, so we did that, that, uh, sort of ridiculous meet and greet before the show. Yeah. And, um, my girlfriend is five feet tall. And so <laughs> I have this hilarious picture of her standing, you know, in the middle of the guys. And it's, it's so funny. Like, I don't think she nor I realized quite how tall they would appear next to her, you know, at five feet tall with those heels on and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's, but I'll, I'll send you a whole batch of pictures, uh, once we're done here. So I'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment at least to talk about formula one, because (laughs) I, I, Weekend. <laughs> I understand that you're possibly even a larger fan than I am. I'm 
such a freak about it. It's bad. I was like reading the tech news this morning before I got out of the college. Well, I'm glad you did because I'm going to quiz you a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's probably not smart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't paid attention to it in a couple months because obviously the season has been yeah. it's starting this week in Melbourne. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's been an awful lot going on. And, you know, of course, I, I told you, I think just before the show that my son is a racing driver and he's been driving carts uh, on a very high national level for, I don't know, eight years now. And so last year he started making the transition into formula cars. And this year he's running the U.S. Formula Four Championship Series. Which oh, cool. which ends in Austin at the Formula One race uh, I in want October. To be there. Yeah. I'm going to be there. I hope. Last year I missed it because I had to do Saturday Night Live. But yeah. Well, I mean, if you're there for sure, uh, you know, make sure you you say hello because, um, you know, I'll I'll uh, introduce you to my kid and bring you around the paddocks and I, stuff like that. Oh, love that. So you, the way it works sure? though is. It's pretty embarrassing how much of a super fan I am. Like my husband gets embarrassed by me. <laughs> That's funny. I love it though. But yeah. <laughs> so at our race at uh, in Austin, they yeah. they separate the Formula Four kids from the Formula One drivers, of course. Yeah. But they're literally across the street on the on the paddock, and um, you know they're waving at each other. And okay. every once in a while, one of the Formula One drivers will come over and say hello to the Formula Four guys who tend to be younger you know most right. of the drivers in the formula four paddock are between my son's age 15 and mm -hmm. like 18 or 19 there's a couple who are like there's actually a guy who races on our team occasionally who's 51 years old and has been racing for 35 years and he just wow. loves formula four for some reason but um mm -hmm. generally they're younger kids but anyway yeah. so what are your thoughts on the championship this year <laughs> well i am a lewis hamilton fan uh Me too. Um, yeah, so I pull for Mercedes. Um, I do love Valtteri as well. Um, but I, I, I want to see him. I, and I loved, I love watching, you know, old videos of Schumacher, like, but I do want Lewis to take as many of these records and just run with them. I, I think it'd be, it, what a cool time to watch formula one is to watch this, this guy just like take over. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely, I will, I will pull for him until he retires. Um, yeah, for sure. No, I mean, he's, he's, uh, the other thing about Lewis is that he's, he's good for the sport in that he is such a nice guy. He is so positive. And it's certainly easy to be positive when you're, you know, winning yeah. championships every year and you've got the fastest car out there. And, you know, you, he suffers so few failures and challenges that other people yeah. have to go through. And so it's pretty easy to remain positive when you never lose. Of but, course. But when you see like, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to this, uh, formula one, uh, drive to survive or whatever it's called the Netflix yeah. thing. Yeah, for sure. And, We've already watched it. Since yeah. Yeah. It. Well, I, I, uh, just watched, I think episode five last night with my son and it I, was the one where, um, Lewis was sick Yeah, and, oh. uh, struggled through the weekend and then Valtteri yeah. crashed. So, you know, the yeah. team rode on Lewis's, I think, 11th place finish or something. Yeah. And, um, you know, but still, I mean, just the guy being there and working as hard as he did and taking the responsibility for his failures and mistakes and everything. Yeah. And, uh, he's, he's a good dude, but honestly, I, I think one of my favorite drivers, just because of personality and, and how he, 
how he is and how goofy and quirky he is is Daniel Ricardo. I love the guy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's great. Yeah. I, I, I was really bummed about his move, though. Um, I think that he, I really wish he would have stayed with Red Bull, but I under, I also understand Red Bull's push to get Max. Yeah. Um, then, you know, when, and the thing about these F1 drivers, there's mm-hmm. so much pressure to win when they're young yeah. and, um, you become right. old very quickly, you yeah. know, where you're right. 30 and all of a sudden you're forgotten about in, in formula one, because there's kids like my son, you know, that are coming up through the ranks very, very young now. Yeah. And they're by the time they're 18, like you're going to see you know, 17 and 18 year old drivers coming into formula one, ready to drive and ready to win. Like, like Verstappen, you know, and Verstappen made a lot of mistakes his first year, but yeah, he did. But and then you've got Raikkonen on the other end of the spectrum. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He's the funniest guy though, because you just never see him smile. He's like Mr. Spock, you know, I love him. just such a grumpy old bastard. Yeah. Instagram. His Instagram's funny because of his captions are so like, they're just like one liners. Yeah. Yeah. I follow all the info. Yeah. (laughs) But but you were talking about Renault and, and, uh, Ricardo moving to Renault. And the thing is like, again, you got to understand he was flat out told you're the number two guy at, at Red Bull. Um, Renault had a program that looked like it was ready to really start to break open. But I don't know if you've been paying attention to the early testing so far this year where Renault is basically the best of the rest right now. So they're the best of the, uh, you know, McLaren, the group that isn't Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, So right now, Renault looks like a solid number four team. But Mm -hmm. again, it's just early testing. So, yeah. And I can't remember, but I feel like last season was the same thing. And then obviously they didn't do so well. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't remember. I, I don't. I don't think so. I think McLaren was pretty strongly in that position last year, but I, I, I don't remember exactly. So, what yeah. about the, you know, any thoughts on like this Mercedes DAS system uh, <laughs> or the Ferrari scandal that's going on? Do you pay attention to that? Oh stuff my too? gosh! Are you well, that techie? I'm so angry about the Ferrari stuff, but that's okay. I'm just like trying yeah. to past it um the DAS system is really interesting I'm I'm interested to see what that does with the drivers I they're not very talkative about it like I just watched an interview with Lewis and he you know they I think the interviewer asked him a question about it and he's like yep and that's yeah. all he said yeah. and and then the, the the tech guy that was in the same interview is like you know he he said I'm not going to go into specifics about it we'd like to keep this hush hush yeah. but there's also um Red Bull's got that new suspension now too they just right suspended so i think it'll be interesting to see how that pans out um yeah but but yeah when you when you see mercedes with that with that das system Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear to see why they keep winning you know i mean they are so innovative yeah they're innovating their their tech it's great and honestly i think this is one of the reasons why i love formula one so much is because you can it's a direct like you can see the lines of like our business and their business. It's like amazing how parallel they are, yeah. like in how we function as a business. I'm like getting all excited now. You've got me going. Well, this podcast is going to be like three hours long, guys. Sorry. But, but it's um, true. What you're saying is true. Yeah. yeah. It's it, because the tech and the innovation, like all of our manufacturers that are creating these insanely crazy products, you yeah. know, and who uses them. And then you've got the, the artists, which would be like the drivers and you've got the pit crew, which is like the roadies and the tech. Yeah. It's, it's so 
so much fun to well, like. Well, the the big parallel. issue though, the the challenge that we're starting to really see come to a head, where uh, teams like Williams, teams like Haas, mm-hmm. may not be able to continue to exist. I think you need to continue to limit the amount of money the teams are able to uh, utilize. So whether it's spend or bring in from a billionaire driver or whatever, Mm -hmm. but uh, you have to limit the amount of money they can spend because otherwise, you know, the Ferrari is, is well, and I mean, it, I'm kind of uh, uh, going against what I just said because Ferrari spends the most or is, is capable of spending the most, but um, you know, Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull are just going to stay at the top for a very long period of time yeah. unless you allow others who aren't spending as much money. And, you know, in football, in hockey, they find ways of regulating the revenue and controlling the revenue so that the bottom teams are supported um, and have as much money to spend as the top teams. But in Formula One, it's just there's such a parity or, or a lack <laughs> of parity between uh uh, you know, between the top and the bottom when it comes to finances. Yeah, it's frustrating. Um, I definitely agree with you there. I think they need to figure out a cap of spending. Um, I just kind of watch it as multiple races in one. So like I root for Mercedes in the top tier. Um, I root for McLaren in the mid yeah. and then, you know, the low, I, I have to, I don't even know who in the lower tier at this well, point. Racing I love point Williams. Williams. <laughs> yeah. I do love Williams because obviously, you know, female run organization. Yep. So, yeah. um, but yeah, so I always just have my teams that I root for in each sector. So what's fun about it is I'm basically watching three races in one at that yeah. point, but I do agree with you. I think that they need to figure out a way to level the playing field a little bit because yeah. yeah it, well, I want to see McLaren back on top. I want yeah. to see Racing Point be able to compete, you mm-hmm. know, for a win yeah. every single week. Like I think every team should have some sort of parity where you know in in our level of racing, you can't just come in with a billion dollars and and win the series. You just can't. Right. Money isn't going to yeah. win. What's going to win is having a really good driver and doing mm-hmm. an awful lot of testing before the season begins and you know, I can tell you in the last two weeks alone, we've had seven days on track and wow. you know, that's like, I'm, I'm basically, you know, robbing my piggy bank, trying to find yeah. coins to put tires on the car at this point, because it's very expensive doing yeah. these test days. And so, um, and then we're doing another test next week at road Atlanta because mm-hmm. the series starts two weeks after that at road Atlanta. And so, um, you know, you know it, only like three and a half hours in Atlanta. <laughs> ah, well, come on down. It's I mean, the weekend of April 8th and, uh, uh, it'll be fun. I well, mean, that's it's, the weekend that I'm gone, actually, it's about Vermont. 40 drivers, I think, who are, uh, competing in the formula four this year. So nice. it should be a lot of fun, but that's, so that's fun. funny. When I read that on your bio that, you know, oh, you're yeah. a massive formula one fan. I was like, okay, yeah. we're going to have to waste a few minutes of this podcast and yeah. talk about formula one. I'm Sorry, so guys. excited for the season to start. <laughs> Me too, but I'm going to, I'm going to be in Saskatoon on Sunday. So I don't even know how much of, I mean, I'm going to try to watch it, but yeah, um, we, we record them all so we can watch them together. I like do as well. Yeah. yeah. Cause so, I'm usually at a track. Well, when, when my yeah. son was karting, especially we were usually at a, at a race on Sundays. So we would either watch it in the, in the trailer, the team trailer, mm-hmm. or we would, uh, or I would just record it and watch it later. But 
you know, yeah. it's, it's going to be a weird season. I mean, the early part of the season, especially with this uh, uh, coronavirus stuff, because, you know, I, I don't know if you're reading all the stuff that's happening in Australia already, um, where they think that there's a few team members who may be infected. And uh, the Bahrain uh, Grand Prix is already being operated behind closed doors, no fans. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. China's canceled, right? China canceled a month ago or something. I don't know if they canceled or if it's postponed. They haven't, they haven't announced a new date yet, but I think they're going to find a way to work it back into the schedule. Well, and that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that this is just a, you know, a postponement of everything in our, in entertainment. I mean, obviously the conventions are being affected too. Like I had, yeah. So I just hope it's a postponement and everybody's just going to get like a nice couple months of chill time for a second. I mean, you know, I, I feel so terrible for everybody who is a freelancer in the business and really relies on that income. Like it is just me too. And and I mean, I am as well, but I'm lucky enough to have a husband that works full time. Um, well, and you probably have health insurance and some of those things that so many people don't have, you know, so they're working freelance plus Mm -hmm. they have no health insurance plus they're losing gigs and, and they're, you know, like I know so many people who are paycheck to paycheck in this industry and, you know, if they don't have money coming in, they don't have food on the table and, you know, it's, it's sad. It really is. But hopefully it's also a wake up call, you know, I mean, get our shit together, you know, and I had, uh, and I right now can't remember the name of the company, but I had a, a company on who does, um, financial planning and insurance for uh theater actors and theater workers and they're expanding into our industry and um they were involved with ldi last year and did some training and stuff but i talked to them a bunch about this i said you know there's a lot of freelancers out there who you know don't have a clue how to save money or how to build a retirement plan or even just how to properly insure their family, God forbid they fall out of a rig or something. Yeah. You know, it's so sad to see the families that are left behind by those tragedies. So yeah. I yeah. Mean, I always tell that's actually a piece of advice I always give younger people coming up in the business is that like you have the ability to make a good amount of money and not spend a lot of money because you're on the road. Yeah. And if you're smart save about it, it you put it away and you save it. So remember that there are going to be months where you're not going to be working. And this just makes those months a little bit more fun, enjoyable for you. Cause you can now relax into those months of downtime yeah. instead of struggling and freaking out about yeah, when enjoy you- it instead of stress through it. You're exactly yeah. right. So it's, yeah. you, mm-hmm. you just mentioned a piece of advice you give. So I've got this, this thing that I end every podcast with, which I call okay. the quick six and it's six questions. Oh, I like to ask every single person. And yep. so it's your turn. And okay. so what is the best piece of advice you've ever given or received? Um, I mean, the best piece of advice is probably that the financial um, thing where, you know, get your, your finances set and make sure that you're putting money away instead of spending it on every day off. And that is um, very important. Yeah. I mean, as far as, as, as advice is concerned, um, design wise, um, Jeff rabbits once told me, and we were doing a TV shoot together. And I said, I've never, I've never really done TV before. This is, I think it was like 2008 or something, um, on a Daughtry gig. Uh, and I said, I've never really done TV. Can you just like show me the ropes? Like, tell me how you're doing this so that I can sort of learn. And he's like, just make sure there are no black holes. 
I was like, oh. And I kind of took that into my design aesthetic from there on out and like just making sure that the band is always, or the artist on stage is always surrounded in something that is beautiful. That way your photos always turn out nice. What a simple um, way of describing it I though, know. right? So there's no black holes. Jeff Ravitz. That's a good so one. Smart. I like it. I know. He's a genius. Um, and then uh, I can't remember who told me this. And in, in my husband and I repeat it all the time, but always take the meeting. Doesn't yeah. matter who it is. Always take the meeting. Like I'll, I'll take meetings with um, up and coming LDs looking for advice because who knows when they're going to be the people I'm working with, you know? <laughs> like, you know what's uh, funny is one time... Meeting. One time, uh, Jerry Harris, you know, the founder of PRG and still CEO, one time, Jerry Harris, I, I was sitting having a beer with him or something, and I, I said, oh, so there's a rumor you're buying so-and-so, and I forget who it was. It might have even been high-end at the time, mm -hmm. and, and he, said, um, he, he said it in an interesting way, which I hope no one takes offense when you hear it, but he said, Marcel, listen, if your neighbor is willing to lift up his wife's skirt and give you a peek, you got to take a look. <laughs> <laughs> so he basically That's said perfect. the exact same thing you just did, <laughs> but okay. in a, in a little nastier way, but, That's amazing. <laughs> but I've, I've taken that one with me. I mean, I, I, uh, anytime somebody wants to talk to me about buying their company or about yeah. buying my company or yeah. about, you know, doing business together or about an idea they've got or whatever. I exactly what you just said. Take the meeting. Take the meeting. Yeah. When opportunities knocking, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Turn it away? No. Yeah. So yeah. I know that you're a person who's very passionate about this industry, who's very passionate about music. You, you know, you're a fan first and, and then you actually get to work on this stuff every day. So what is your biggest career pinch me moment? Oh my gosh. Um, maybe the rage against the machine. It was probably rage against the machine. Um, any, any, any time with rage against the machine, those guys were so much fun to work with. Um, really? yeah, just like, I think there was a moment, um, maybe the first time ever in 2007 when they reunited, uh, for Coachella and I was just standing out front, like terrified. I'm about to run lights for this artist. And, just like listening to all the music and running lights, the music that I, I mean, in high school, I listened to them nonstop. Really? That, yeah. That I was a massive fan of Rage Against the Machine. Um, and yeah, I think and that so was now cool. you're standing at Coachella and yeah, you know, house lights go out and, and you're in charge. Yeah. That yeah, had to be cool. It was crazy. It was yeah. Crazy. The if, second one was definitely Muse as well. Like that was a big thing. Oh yeah. 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 Well, and that was just such a friggin' incredible show anyways. Um, is there one piece of gear that you don't feel like you can do your job without? Um, the most important tool in I your I need toolbox. my light meter. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I feel, I have to have it everywhere I go. Sometimes even when I'm not, when I'm not even really, I'll travel with it no matter wherever, it's like next to my passport, right? It's my passport and my light meter are always with me. Um, yeah, it's important to make sure people look good in their their pictures. So you gotta and have that. Sometimes right are you using it as a research tool? Like if you're standing somewhere and you go, God, I love the light in here. Do <laughs> no. you pull out your light meter? <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Yeah, just bring it to a restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, exactly. the color temperature of this chandelier just isn't it's not it's making That's my funny. Mean, like you know. That's funny. <laughs> oh gosh. Is there any piece of gear that hasn't been created yet that you would want? 
created? What's your number one item on your wish list? There's not like one singular piece of gear, but um, I just want manufacturers to start thinking about light in a different way. Like exactly what I was saying with the, the X4 bars, they created a sheet of light. It's a different beam shape. It's a different way of, of using light um, that just like, let's think of different shapes and different ways that we can you you know, really push the boundaries on light. I mean, the Stilos, the, the, the clay packy light is a good example. I have yet to use it. Um, but how can we, how can we change the way light looks and the way yeah. light affects a stage? Well, That's a- it's a, it's a, it's a great point. And, you know, I think Sharpie was one of those moments when, <laughs> you know, um, things kind of changed a little bit and instead mm-hmm. of a wash light or, a, a like we basically had spots and washes and then all of a sudden we had this beam and it was like, yeah. Ooh, Whoa, right. what's this? And yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a really great point. And I actually talked about this in, um, my most recent podcast where we said, you know, one of the, the sort of, um, LEDs have happened in sort of this timeline where, and I, even in commercial LED, everything at first, you just had to replace what was out there. So in other words, a light bulb needed to look like a light bulb fit into a, uh, a light bulb screw in base. It needed to act like a light bulb, dim like a light bulb and everything just kind of needed to provide a straight replacement to whatever was there before it. Right. Um, now that has started to change where we are now getting into more of a, um, you know, let's be a little more creative. Let's come up with some new, unique, different looks and feels and shapes of these products. Yeah. For sure. I mean, this, the Martin Septron and the upstaging saber, like those are all, those are all big ones too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, um who was, or is the greatest influence to you in your career? Oh my goodness. That question. I, I honestly do not have one single person. I, I greatly, I, I honestly think of so many people as mentors and it might not, they're not, maybe they were only in my life for like, you know, a year or something, but, um, Sherry Skirdal, obviously she was the person that showed me the way of theater lighting. Brian Clark, like Brian Clark was the one that pushed me into, um, being a a designer for concerts and, and and teaching me the ropes of how to all the techie stuff and all of the um operation and color and everything for for concerts um uh yeah i mean there's so many people robert long clearly is a big one for me cuz um he saw my one of my shows and 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 ended up taking me under his wing and then we became you know creative partners uh and and best friends and like family, you know, yeah. like he, he's a huge influence in my life. Um, I mean, probably the biggest one in my career for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, not everybody, you know, can look at one single person and say, that's the person. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, like sometimes I ask these questions and I think about it and I go, who the hell would I say? And yeah. I don't know, you know, most of them, I don't even know the answer to them because, uh, same as you, I mean, influences in my career, it's been a lot, a lot of people. And I, I know sort of who the answer would be, but, um, and how do you give back? And, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping that you, uh, Mm -hmm. will say that you go back to some of those schools in the sticks that you went to 
and you go back and say, look what I became, you know, yeah. and, and get a little bit braggy and stand in front of a room of people <laughs> in northern Vermont who have no idea what their future is going to bring them. You know, maybe I'll go work in the fields or I'll do this or that. But, you know, and stand there and say, hey, look, I'm touring with, you know, the Muse and with, uh, uh, you know, Coldplay and all of these amazing artists. And I've really made a career out of this. Yeah, I try right. as much as I can. I actually just was at Emerson College um, uh, this past month. I went up, I went up to Boston and and spoke in Scott Pinkney's Lighting Three class, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I haven't been back to my high school in some time. Sherry Skirtle has since retired, um, but she used to bring me up, and I would go up whenever possible. I'd love to do, to go back up there actually, but um, yeah, I'm always taking the opportunity to do that because you know growing up in Northern Vermont, I, we didn't even know that this was a career choice until I went to see that show. Yeah. So, um, I like to make sure that people understand that. Um, yeah. Uh, in the fall time, I got to speak on a panel with a bunch of other designers in Nashville for Nashville design week. And I had so much fun doing that and, um, would really love to do that again as well. I, I try to as much as I can, you know, and, and like I said, when, you know, always take the meeting, if, if like, an an up and coming LD or aspiring person, somebody wants to get into the business, wants to sit down and have coffee. I, you know, if I'm in town, I will take that meeting and I will That's go. Amazing. And sit yeah. yeah it, you. Well, I know you've also been really doing your very best to help people in Nashville, you know, with, with these tornadoes a few weeks ago. And, um, and that's amazing, too, you know, I only did, I honestly, to be fair, I was only able to make it out for half a day. So yeah. now that, um, I'm no longer traveling next week, um, out of the country because of the coronavirus hype, I'm planning next week since I have more free time to go out and do more, but I definitely, there's been people that have been out there every day. Like, yeah. um, there's a girl named Amanda Tellis here in Nashville. that has been out yeah. quite a bit. and like, uh, she's in our industry, she's a lighting person as well. So I, I have not done nearly enough and I need to get out more. Um, and I'll probably be out, like I said, next week. Well, um, in, in general, our industry is, is so good at giving back and mentoring and coaching and charity and all kinds of things, giving your time away, you know, talking with, uh, with Faye McMahon last week about, uh, Live Aid cause he designed Live Aid and, um, you know, everyone on Live Aid gave their time, their money, their rental yeah. gear there the artists performed for free every no one made any money on that show um mm -hmm. except the charities that that they wanted to give the money out to so um you know i i uh i just think that as first of all as an incredible designer who's who's young and very uh enthusiastic and passionate as you are i think you have so much to give but also as a woman you know and i i know you don't go out there and say hey i'm a i'm a woman ld you go out and just say hey i'm a good ld hire me um yeah. but i think as an as a woman uh in this industry in a male-dominated industry you are a great inspiration and and should talk to other uh people but also to women specifically thank you, know, you. Yeah, things. i happy to chat anytime. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Well, yeah. I know you were really quick to respond to me when I, I said, Hey, I'd like to have you on the podcast. And so, you know, you're very, <laughs> you're, you're very gracious with your time and I appreciate it very much. And I'm, I'm super happy you were able to make the time to do this today. Well, thanks for having me. I've been binge listening. So, oh. <laughs> so well, good. 
I hope uh, I hope to keep getting guests as great as you, and and uh, I hope people keep listening because I enjoy doing it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, and travel safely, and enjoy uh, the lovely balmy, probably <laughs> minus twenty degree Saskatoon weather. Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, I just put away my winter clothing too. Oh god! Well, <laughs> it ain't gonna be warm. I promise you that. I know. I'll bring them up. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> All right, Sooner, you have a great one. And definitely uh, connect with me if you have any interest in going to any of those races, and I'll send you a bunch of kiss pictures. Oh, hell yes. Awesome. Right. Thank ya. you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Sweet, sweet child